glad to be with you guys again today. And uh, it's three weeks until Easter. I looked at the calendar again just to make sure it, it is coming up quick. And I can't think of a, a better way to prepare for Easter than to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus. In, in fact, uh, I would just have you consider taking the opportunity over the next few weeks. Uh, there will be people more willing to listen to you talk about your faith, church, God, and Jesus than at any other time of the year. And uh, I think part of it, it's because they want to know, well, what's this about? Uh, you know, they probably have some family tradition that, uh, you know, involving searching for eggs and ham and bunnies and maybe getting together with family and things like that. And those are all, all fine things. And, and my family does those too. But they're willing to, to talk about and listen to you talk about why Easter is so much more than that. And, and it would be really beneficial, not just to you to do it, but to them to hear it. Uh, think about why you're here at church. And the reason you're here is because someone brought you. And you could even go, well, man, I grew up in church. Okay, your parents brought you. Uh, I was invited. I was invited to a campus Bible study. And so I wouldn't have been in church today if I hadn't been invited to Bible study. And then I was invited to go to church uh, after that. And so I would, I would encourage you to, to consider that, how important that is. And people will definitely be more willing to listen this time of year. Don't, don't let it get by and go, well, I'll catch them next year. No, you do it now while you can. Uh, and Peter talked about that in his first church, uh, first letter to the church, I should say, first uh, Peter three fifteen. Uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. The first sermon I ever preached in church was on this passage. I remember reading this uh, and then telling my pastor, I know what I want to talk about. And he's like, okay, we'll put you on the calendar. And this was it. Because I realized reading it that I needed to talk about the hope that I had. And there is a connection between that expression of hope and the keeping the Lord holy in your hearts, as Peter said. Out of this verse comes the practice of apologetics. Apologetics is a rational defense of Christianity. It is the answering the questions of the Christian faith with reason and evidence. So it's not just an emotional response. It's not just that's how I feel. It's not relative. It's not, this is what's true to me. If you've probably heard 
people say, it, it almost seems cliche now, but people still say, well, that's your truth. As if truth is different depending on who says it. And so uh, apologetics, it actually comes from the word Peter used translated in this passage as defense. It's the Greek word apologian, uh, which really does mean from intelligent reasoning. That logia, we often just say, well, that's word, but it's actually intelligent reasoning. Properly, um, a, it's, it's a well-reasoned response. It's a thought-out response. Classically, an apology isn't, I'm sorry. It actually is a justification or a reason. Some... Uh, there's actually some really well-known apologists that uh, that come to mind talking about this. Uh, maybe you're familiar with some William Lane Craig, uh, his uh, website and uh, uh, blog and uh, writing in that reasonable faith. He's a uh, professor at Talbot Seminary in Biola. Uh, J. Warner Wallace. He's an a homicide detective. And then he's written uh, The Cold Case Christianity is his thing. Lee Strobel, who we have a book uh, for you today, and uh, the, the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. He wrote The Case for Christ, The Case, case for Easter, The Case for Christmas. And then Josh McDowell, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, after reading that, I, I, I would, when I would share with people, I would often say, uh, if you died today, what do you think would happen? And typically, well, you know, I'm a good guy and I think I'll go to heaven. And so you get to have that discussion. And so apologetics, it, it broken down into different categories uh, there's creation apologetics, and that tends to be something I'm a bit more drawn to. If you're maybe more science, mathy person, uh, it, it tends to uh, get your attention because that's something we've been exposed to a lot. You're taking a science class, depending on the, the position they took, uh, you, you might want to read up on that because there is very good evidence for creation versus uh, any other uh, creation or, I should say, existence of the universe. There's moral apologetics, and maybe that's that's more like social sciences. And again, it, it's something we could all study. But but it's it's why are there any uh, any moral foundation, any moral truths that we should subscribe to? If if we're here by chance and accident, then then is there really any? And most people would say, of course, we should have moral standards. But the question then is why? And then, and then the third uh, kind of branch is biblical apologetics. And this is the, the, uh, the historical evidence for the Bible, the uh, fulfilled prophecy, the archaeological evidence, the uh, addressing the miracles, the biblical text textual criticism, uh, the uniqueness of Christ and the resurrection, and then 
for for us, our personal testimony. And I would argue that all three are necessary for Christians to have an understanding of as far as apologetics. And and let's just be honest, this is only a three-part <laughs> series, so I can only go so deep. Uh, this would be uh, uh, months, if not years, trying to go deep into any of those. And so I'm, I'm just going to focus on, over the next uh, few weeks, just three kind of things to have in your mind as you're really addressing these. So, so first of all, I would say the difference between evangelism and apologetics, uh, apologetics would be the, the answering the question specifically. Evangelism would be part of that willingness to, to get it out there. So they do go hand in hand. And so... Uh, I'm going to start off today really talking about, I think, what, where, where most of us uh, start. And it's that uh, God loves us. How do you uh, have an understanding of that? The, the song is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so we'll start with the Bible. So first of all, God loves us. How do I know? Well, God loves you. Because he is love, right? God uh, has that love for us because it's who he is. Scripture makes it, it clear that God is love. In 1 John 4, uh, verse 7, uh, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And so what we do, how we interact with each other and the world is, is further evidence of God's love for us as well. It's, it's why it's so important as Christians the way we conduct ourselves. Right, that I don't then just represent myself or my employer or my family. I represent Christ. And the way I interact with people should represent him well. Because the love I have for my brothers and sisters in Christ and I have for the world at large should be a reflection of the love that God has for me. Right, that if God loves me and I understand that, and know that, that I've been forgiven of my sins, how willingly I should also forgive those around me and care for them. It's why if you look around the world at, at uh, disaster sites and, and people in need, you know who's on the front line? It's Christians who are going to meet needs and help out and, and take supplies and raise money and help out. After the Red Cross in the United States, you know who the, the, the number one uh, organization that's on site for, for helping out after a disaster? It's the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Because they show up and go, we're here to help. Anything we can do, making a, a sacrificial offering of service, not because, just because we want to help, but because we love the Lord. We love the Lord, so we help other people. And so, since God loves us, 
or sorry, since God is love, he loves us. And this brings up the question. And I think it's, it's probably the counter to this discussion about God's love. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge it because it's valid. It's a valid question. It's the problem of evil. And so often the question comes up, how does, uh, why does bad thing happen to good people? Or if God is good and powerful, how can there be evil in the world? Why would he have created that? And so the answer to this question is, is called theodicy, a big fancy word, but, but there are different arguments then to answer that question. And then there's also inscrutability, uh, which is an acknowledgement that we don't know everything. We don't understand it. We can't just sit back and, and kind of arrogantly say, well, I've got an answer to every question you have. No, at some point we have to sit back and go, you know, there's things that I don't understand about God. And I'm okay with that, right? I can't understand it all. There's a reason the apostle Paul said at, at this time, we're, we're kind of looking through a mirror darkly. There will be a time when we'll see face to face, and that's not right now, so I don't get all of it. I think there are answers, and in fact, there are a lot of answers to the questions that we have about the faith, but I don't have it all figured out, and so my, my take has always been, I'll, I'll answer the question as best I can, but there will definitely be a time when I have to go, you know, I don't really have the answer to that. I'm willing to look. I'm willing to ask people on your behalf. I'm willing to, to, to do research and investigate because I think there's answers out there. Uh, I, when I was in college, I, I remember I had been uh, witnessing to this young lady that was another math major. And uh, so she goes, I've got a lot of questions. So we sat down in a very public place on campus and, and uh, she, she had a list. She like pulled out a piece of paper with all these. And these are the kinds of questions she asked and like, wow, okay. And I'll do the best I can. And so I was trying to answer all of her questions as, as best I could. And, and I go, boy, I, I maybe this and maybe that. And I was doing, and, and I was getting a little nervous because she's really, like really peppering me with some, some tough questions. And I, I kind of looked over uh, in the commons and I saw a young lady sitting uh, across the room. And as I was trying to answer a question, I caught the eye of this young, young lady across the room. She looked at me. She just held up her hands like, I'm praying for you. And I went, oh my gosh. Okay, so she knows I'm, do okay, I got to do better. <laughs> but I also know that God, God cares. That, that he put her there just at that moment to encourage me. I think it's okay to say there are some things I don't fully know. In fact, I'm not so arrogant as to say, I got it all figured out, people, because I don't. And that's okay. But I do know that God loves me and that God loves them. And there's evidence for it. The second one is that God loves you because he created you. He created you, and therefore there's, there's some affection for you. Uh, I don't know, I don't know uh, why that's true, uh, but I think it is, right? Very seldom do I do something with my own hands and walk away and go, Pfft. no, there's, there's a certain pride, even when it's bad, 
right? There's, there's things that I made for my parents when I was young that they still have today, you know, because back in the day we used to make ashtrays and in ceramics and vases and things like that. And my parents still have those to this day and, and, and they appreciate it because I made it and I'm like, well, that's at least something I did. I was at a car dealership and the, the, the salesman, he said, well, what, do you like the color? Do you like the car? And, and, and I was ready to answer. And he goes, you know, it really doesn't matter. What? He goes, if it's yours, you'll love it. Now, he wasn't trying to instill any deep truth, but, but that's what I got out of it was that, that part of it is that, that ownership that you would develop over time a deep affection for. And he was right. I picked the blue Mustang. I'll be honest. My wife and I, we picked the blue Mustang and I love that car until it literally just fell apart. You see, God loves us because he created us. He made us in his image. And, and with that comes an affection for us. Because God created us in Psalm 139, 13, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That's a picture of a loving artist sculpting a masterpiece. It's not an assembly line cranking out mass-produced products to be sold on the internet. This is, this is a master at work. And it's not just me. That's literally every one of us. God knitted together. Okay, that certainly says something very different about God's love for us. Since God created us and knows us, what does he think about us? What does he, what is he willing to do for us? Well, that takes me to number three. God giving his son is evidence that he loves you. Right? There's, there is no greater evidence than Jesus Christ going to the cross. You would not easily sacrifice for a stranger. What about your family? Even then. But it's only through love that he was willing to sacrifice for us. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God loved us enough that he sacrificed Jesus for us. And then John 15, 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I, I could even go one step further. It wasn't even that we were buddies. In fact, what scripture says is that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were opposed to him, while, while he was going, this is what I'm willing to do for you on the cross. The picture isn't that we were like, you know, the, 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 the disciples that showed up, the women that were gathered there weeping at, his, at 
the crucifixion. In fact, the picture of that verse is that we were much more like the Roman soldiers and the people that were hurling uh, accusations against Jesus. That's who we are. I don't know. Maybe you're not like me, but that's me. I was the guy that was mad. I was the guy that good. He's getting what he deserved. And yet scripture is clear that Jesus didn't die on, just die on the cross for the women that were there. Oh, you know, sad that he's dying. He died for the people that were mad, that were hurling insults. Jesus died for them. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. What about his enemies? Yeah, them too. That's the kind of love that he has for us. Number four, right? So, so think about what, what it says. He loves us because he is love. God loves you because he created you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die. And that it wasn't just that he said, okay, well, I'm going to die so that you might have eternal life. But, but more than that, I love you so much. Number four, God adopted you into his family. I think that requires even greater sacrifice, right? Because the law makes it clear that if you have children of your own, you're responsible to take care of them. But you're not responsible to take care of every child walking down the street. You don't have to go and adopt them and foster them and and bring them into your house and, and raise them and care for them and provide for them. Yet that's what God did. Right? All of the enemies, all those that were opposed to them, he said, I'm going to give you my son to die for you. And then I'm going to bring you into my family, adopt you in that you would be sons and daughters. One John three, one, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. We get to be his children. The, the, the picture is so clear that when we are opposed to God, it, it, it's like that uh, picture in a courtroom where the, the, uh, the district attorney, the state makes their case against us. That's me. I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I'm guilty. I know this is bad. And it's not just I did something, I, I jaywalked, which I guess in California isn't illegal anymore. Um, I didn't just, you know, pocket a pack of gum. I, I did something truly horrible. And, and I know I'm guilty. And, and the accusations are coming left and right. And there's witnesses. And they know I'm guilty. And it's me. I'm, 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 I'm done for. And yet what scripture seems to indicate is there's a moment at which Jesus stands up and he goes, no, hold on a minute. Remember the cross. I went to the cross and I took this. He's guilty, but I'm taking the punishment for him. And he stepped in and he bore my sin. He died in my place. And it's not even just that. Because that would be enough, wouldn't it? 
right? That my sin was paid for. I get eternal life. But then the judge gets up and he goes, all right, son, you're coming home with me now. You're now my son. I get to be in his house. We're family. You see, I never thought about it that way before. I always thought, well, it was good enough. I get into heaven. But, but no, I get to be his child. I get to be part of the family. I get to be a child of God. So much greater, that promise. And then number five, how do you know God loves you? Well, God keeps his promises to you. He always does what he says he's going to do. So what promises can we have hope in? What promises do we claim? He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's a pretty good promise. As far as the east is from the west, so far, he removes our transgressions from us. I don't even have a better illustration than that. Psalm uh, 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. He's good and forgiving, and he's willing to forgive. If we would call on him. So you're here. And I've, I've cited a lot of scripture, right? It's, it's there in the outline. It's been on the screen, right? You, now, this is the easy part. Because I get a room full of people that are at least willing to look at scripture, right? It's a little harder going outside, and if I was outside, if, if I'm going to, to make an argument for the case for my faith, it's really hard to say, well, here's what Scripture says, because people then don't really get the I believe in Scripture. And so, yeah, I get that benefit. So it's, it's harder when you leave here. I get it. But it's still worthwhile. And here's the reason. Because scripture, as it says of itself, it, it, it never goes out and returns void. There's never an impact. It, it's why I don't go on to online forums and argue things theologically anymore. But what I do is I share scripture. Because I know the power of scripture is much better than what I could say. And so... Uh, I think there's a place at which you have to argue morality, argue creation, and, and that instead of just the specific revelation of Scripture, as powerful as that is, you also need to have an understanding of uh, general revelation. And general revelation means that, that we can't help but look at creation and see God at work. One of my, my favorites that, that I can't help but notice is the hand of God at work through human history. That you look at where the gospel has gone and you see uh, people's lives improve. 
relationships heal, families that are stronger, societies that get better. When, when you get a, a group of people in, in a society that trust God, that's a society where things are better, where people are caring for each other. There's a better work ethic. And, and with that just comes a lot of uh, encouragement. And so I would, I would encourage you this way. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to be willing. My uh, doctoral project was specifically on this was that if I trained people to share their faith, they didn't have to answer all the questions. They just had to be willing to try. So I'd put that to you. Are you willing to try? Are you willing, whether you have all the answers for people, are you willing to make an argument that, that God loves you, that, that God cares. And you might say, well, who am I going to make this argument to? All the people around you, right? It's your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, your, your roommates, whoever it might be that God has put into your life, that you would take the opportunity, uh, I think it can be hard. Some of you are like, man, if I brought this up in my class, I brought this up at work, I would just get hounded. Yeah, there's a way to do it. That's why scripture says, speak the truth in love, right? You have to lovingly do it. You have to be wise in how you do it, but it is, it is worthwhile. And so if maybe some of you, if you're, you're kind of maybe newer, like, I don't know that I'm ready yet for that. Then maybe today what you need to do is ask God about that. God, how do I start that first step of, of getting right with you, of asking you to forgive my sins, of, of growing in my understanding of who you are? And then, and then second, uh, how do I be a part of a community that's going to help me? If, if maybe you're further down the road and you're like, well, I've, I've committed to that, but it's still, it's kind of a scary thing that I would be the one to say to someone how God loves them, how Jesus died for them. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I get it because it's not my, my, my natural gifting either, but it's worthwhile. And so maybe that's what you're going to have to to ask God to do, to give you the strength, the courage to say it, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard to do. I do have some next steps for you today. First of all, accept the love God has given me. And then I will love the Lord in return. And, and I would uh, point out that loving the Lord means to love your neighbor. They always go together in scripture that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, these sum up all of the law and the prophets. And then the, the second one I have there, my next step today is to visit the karm.org uh, website. I put that on there specifically that you're like, I want to learn a little more about apologetics this is a uh, Christian apologetics and research ministry, and they have a lot of resources that you could, you could read up and, and learn a little bit about this.
Uh, so I would in- encourage you there. I don't expect everyone to be an expert, but we can all read up and, and, and learn a little bit more on how to answer some of these questions when they come up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are uh, loving and gracious. And uh, when we have said things that uh, we answer, but we Father, my uh, prayer is that for each one of us, we would gain an understanding of prayer today is that uh, we would take seriously our responsibility to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. So, Father, I pray that you give us courage to speak the truth in love, that we understand you love us in return. We speak that truth to others. Father, I thank you as we prepare for Easter over the next few weeks, that you give us opportunities to talk about you, to represent you, and to proclaim uh, what Easter is all about. Give us the words to do it, the courage to do it, and that those we tell would be receptive of what you're doing. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that... uh, Uh, In the next few weeks, we get to celebrate your love for us and what Jesus did on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.